As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene, was good? But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to It Could Happen Here, the podcast that just happened here. All right, that's my my part done. Chris? What are we what are we talking about today? I, I I have brought you all here today to discuss one of the most sacred and venerable of our political institutions, an institution whose words echo through history and carve the political, legal, and economic framework of our world. I am referring, of course, to the bread riot. Hey, there we go. I love a good bread riot. I yeah. I do too. This is this is a good a, a non-zero part of why I wrote this episode. How how Two is episodes. this re- how is this relatable? The grain supply seems really stable right now. I, it's always what everyone says stable. about the grain supply. No one, no, no one has thrown a Molotov through a bank window in two hundred years. I, look, go- I, I was, I was reliably informed by several Marxist historians that that bread riots were over. I'm gonna, I'm gonna Google Ukrainian wheat harvest as I do every exactly five years. The, the moment just now came up where where I check it every five years. So let me just. Oh, oh, oh. Uh... Is that a oh good dear! Idea? Oh, oh dear! Oh. Is there a problem? <laughs> well, let me go eat my fifth Wonder Bread slice of the day and not think about it. Uh, good stuff. All right, so yeah, let's talk bread riots. Yeah, we're talking bread riots. So bread riots are an ancient institution. Um, you can, I mean, you can find them like very easily as far back as the Roman Republic. Yeah, it is eighty percent of Roman Republican politics. Yeah, is people and, and rioting like, over like, bread. Like, okay, if, if you wanted to, like, go further back than that, I have no doubt you could, like, spend probably 10 minutes and find bread rioting in, like, Sumeria or something. 
Uh, I didn't do this, and the reason I didn't do this, even though I'm talking about the history of the bread riot, is that the, the sort of the, the structure of the bread riot is shaped inexorably by the sort of political and economic conditions around it. And the political and economic conditions of ancient Rome are somewhat similar to us, but not really. So instead of doing that, we're starting in the late 1700s, where there are a lot of bread riots. But particularly, there's a lot of very well-documented bread riots in the UK and France. And I, I guess b- b- before we actually like talk about the specific riots, we should, we should talk about what a bread riot actually is. Because, okay, so I mean, on, on a very superficial level, a bread riot is when people don't have bread and they riot. But the actual response to that and what the riots look like are interesting and sort of complicated. Um, I'm going to quote now from the book Free Markets and Food Riots. And uh, this, is, this is talking about specifically the 1700s riots, but yeah, uh, food riots took several forms. A, the blockader entrave that prevented the export of grain from an area in which shortages existed. B, the price riot or taxation populare in which food was seized by protesters, a just price set, and the lot sold. C, agrarian demonstrations in which farmers destroyed their own produce as a dramatic protest, and D, the market riot, in which the crowd took retributive action against commercial agents, uh, bakers, millers, or local magistrates in the form of looting or tumultuous assembly to force dealers or local authorities to reduce prices. So, okay, th- there's a lot of different things going on here. Uh, we're going to get back to the farmers' protest stuff like a lot later because the, the specific kind of like rural like versions of this kind of fade into the background for a couple of centuries – um, what's happening in the urban centers, though, is really interesting in a lot of ways, and, and it gets at the core of, of what's going on in these sort of, like, late 1700s riots. Um, notably, the crowds who are doing the rioting aren't just, like, they're not just, like, seizing the bread and eating it, which is a thing that, like, you would assume they would be doing if they were, you know, it's a bunch of people who are starving and there's bread and they take it, right? But that's, that's actually not what they're doing. What they're doing is essentially negotiating over price. You, you see this in the sort of price riot thing, right? Uh, you know, the, the thing that they actually do is they seize a bunch of grain and then they sell it off at what, at what they sort of like – at what they deem a fair price is. And, you know, what, what, what this is attempting to do basically is it's, it's, a, it's a very, very direct way of trying to get bakers to lower their prices. And the, the other thing that's about these riots is that they are – they're they're very politically sophisticated and they're they're very targeted. Um, th- there's a thing you hear a lot, and, and if you've ever read anything about any modern riot, uh, you will hear just people ranting about how people are destroying blindly destroying their own neighborhoods, and it's it's just like not true. Riots tend to have sort of a just, riots tend to have a sort of political specific political focus and attacking specific targets, which is why like. You know, the first things that go up in a riot are pawn shops, liquor stores, police stations, and uh, now stores that treat their employees badly. They literally have specific targets. Yeah, yeah. Like it's you know it's 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 very like all all of all of the stuff that's happening is stuff that has like it's the result of of political grievances that people have sort of been accumulating for a long time, and. This is also true of these sort of of these early bread riots too. Um, going back to the book Free Markets and Food Riots. Protesters did not rampage indiscriminately, but focused their wrath on particular individuals and institutions whom the crowd held responsible for unjust practices. Typically, it was not the producers or retailers of food, but the middlemen who were seen as responsible for shortages and price raises, the grain dealers, wholesalers, speculators, and mills. Grain shipments by wagon, ship, and canal barge were seized and distributed among participants or sold at a just price. Warehouses were raided with similar results. Textile workers in 1770 reams, quote, 
seized the town's markets, proceeded to sell all the grain in the market at three quarters of the current price. They then turned their attention to the warehouse and to the granaries of numerous religious houses, which they treated in a similar fashion. Yeah, and so you know, like this, this, this is like this is a pretty remarkable degree of political sophistication, right? They're they're not targeting sort of farmers or bakers, and especially not targeting people who are like well known and liked in the community. They're targeting people who they can directly tie to, to grain price speculation. And th- this is a you know, in some sense, like this, this is a demonstration of the kind of like basic contradiction of the market, right? On the one hand, you have bread as this like physical thing that you need to survive. On the other hand, you have bread as this market commodity. And the mar- you know, as a market commodity, it's a sort of speculative asset, which people are like buying and selling and hoarding like stocks because not because they actually need to eat it, but because they're interested in its sort of market value. And you know, if, uh, the Marxists will call this uh, the difference between use value or like the value you get from eating a piece of bread and the exchange value, which is like the, the, the bread as a commodity that can be traded for other commodities. And, you know, and, like this is this is in some sense like this is behind a lot of like the housing crisis right now. You have a bunch of people who buy houses and apartment buildings that, you know, not because they need to live in them, but as an asset that will appreciate over time, you know, like appreciate in value over time like stocks do. But this means that people who like need houses to like live in them, like don't get a house because they're being held by people who are trying to get their value to appreciate. And the goal of these riots is basically to prevent bread from becoming an exchange value. That is to sort of like market commodity use for speculation and turn them back into use values. But even again here, this is interesting, right? Because it's not like these people are like 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 anti-market, anti-capitalist, right? They, they, they tend not to sort of just seize the bread outright. What they're doing is they, they're insisting on buying it at a specific quote-unquote just price. And th- this this sort of gets into the question of like why are these riots happening in the first place? Um, the, the obvious explanation, like okay, the people are rioting because the price of bread is increasing, but that's that's not actually like an explanation, right? It's just it's a precondition. But like, there's a lot of places where bread prices rise and you never get a riot. So, a lot of of people have studied this and tried to figure out what is happening. Uh, the, the 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 second explanation that historians come up with is something called the moral economy. Um, and and, and in this model. People aren't just reacting to like a price increase. Well, what they're actually reacting to is what becomes known as the entitlement gap, which is this gap between people what people think they're entitled to based on like the morality and how hard they work, et cetera, et cetera, and like what they actually get. And so, you know, in, in less academic language, it, it's people going like, I'm getting price gouged, this is bullshit, bring the prices down than what they're supposed to be. And, you know, that's part of it. There, there's there's another theory that argues that uh, food riots are driven by these like really complicated sort of like webs of horizontal social relations and like things like uh, networks of wives and like political organizations and sort of like alliances that happen inside of villages, stuff like that. And that, uh, you know, pr- and, and the, the, these groups sort of like react to price increases by banding together and forcing people to lower prices. Um, now, notably... I one one of the like the things I listed in those that like web of things right is wives networks as the sort of like first community web that leads to food riots um and this is this is turns out to be important women are often like the leaders and initiator of bread riots and the the sort of theory behind it is that they're actually the ones like buying the bread and so they're sort of they're more in tune with disturbances of food prices et cetera et cetera and you know the food price increases are a threat to what academics call social reproduction. Or in essence, like taking care of yourself, your family, and your household, and like making sure you can sort of support and raise your children. So there's well, so the the the, the good version of it is it's you're taking care of the people around you. The cynical version of it is it's social it's re, it's social reproduction because you're creating another generation of workers for capital. Uh but because women end up doing like 
an enormously disproportionate amount of that work. Uh, they, you know, they, they wind up in the streets first because they're the people who are most acutely sort of like sensitive to the stuff happening. Um, yeah. What's, what's, you know, the, and, and the, the other thing that's sort of worth noting here is that riots are these, these kind of bread riots are usually urban affairs and they're sort of, they're the product of people who live in cities, right? It's your sort of artisans, your industrial workers, there's this like fighting core of teenagers who seem to show up in all of these bread riots, and uh, thankfully that that it, that never yeah. happens today. We do not have a bunch of teenagers who show up every time to fight the cops when something bad happens. No experience with this. Yeah, I've certainly <laughs> never seen anything like that happen. Uh, do these with- other countries have the feds put piles of bricks out on the street? <laughs> Well, you know, this is well, we, we we haven't they, they haven't gotten to that level of entrapment yet. They're right, they're, they're right, not powerful right. enough. They, this this is before the development of the police state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they didn't have an FBI to burn down the third precinct. Yeah, <laughs> they 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 haven't invented the agent provocateur yet. Yeah, a cunning false flag. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling 
is choosing the right travel partner. Jean! Eugene Fodor! Jean, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jean, and Vlastor on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return, your time won't, and we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So what's interesting about the 18th century riots, though, is I've been talking a lot about how these are led by women, and that's true, but specifically the 18th century, the 1700s ones tend to be more gender balanced than later riots. And I'm, I'm going to read this from the historian Lynn Taylor because it's, it's one of the funniest things I've ever read in my life, and I love it. Cynthia Bolton's study of the French Flower War of, seven, of 1775 makes clear the mixed nature of traditional food riots. Indeed, the number of men involved had increased significantly in the flower wars due to the changing male economic, social, including familial, and political status during the Ancien Regime. Theirs was a life of precarious and declining social economic position, disequilibrium in the family structure, political alienation, one that left them in positions similar to those of mothers, wives, sisters, and daughters. The men who rioted had, in crucial ways, been feminized. Oh boy, <laughs> they forced—they are rioting because they've been. Yeah, forced I mean, this—this uh, this is a thing that literally happened in uh, in Myanmar during the uprising. They, there are kind of local local cultural sort of attitudes there that make it that have made it for a long time like uh, essentially considered like shameful to touch women's clothing um or particular like there's certain things that like you don't wear and that you're not supposed to look at if you see someone dressed that way um that are like traditional women's clothing and so a bunch of male protesters would dress that way and form up in like ranks at the protests because it made the police like (laughs) uncomfortable and sometimes like back off that's Um, extremely cool yeah there's like some literal examples of that in very recent riots yeah, and, and I think that gets at one of the things that's sort of happening. It's happening in this period too, which is that like one of the kinds of things that generates these bread riots is this kind of is is this instability in gender roles and is this sort of instability in in what the role of a person in society is going to be. And that I don't know, it has a lot of interesting effects. And when those effects are riots, the stuff the stuff that happens is really cool because you get a lot of sort of like gender roles getting messed up you get a lot of like social ties being broken i guess so the the other thing that's going on in this period um that is is important because i because it, it sort of like foreshadows a lot of what the sort of later bread riots are going to be about is that and th- this is this is like the fourth theory of bread riots if you sort of like go through your economic historians of, of this stuff um they're talking about basically the, the the late 1700s are are one of the sort of key moments in like the formation of of the modern state and what what this means in terms of food is that control of the food supply is moved from these this sort of like parentalistic like feudal state thing where on a local level you have guaranteed prices and access to food and this is shifted to laissez faire capitalism in which there is there there are there are no price controls there's there's no guarantee you can get food and 
Subsequent to this also, at the same time, is the centralization of the military bureaucracy. And the centralization of the military bureaucracy means that they're taking more control of the food supply. Um, here, here's some free markets and food riots again. Older parentalistic models operating at the local level and assuring a plentiful supply of necessaries at a low price were undermined by new national policies aimed at greater efficiency and market regulation. Spanning a century and more, the policies included such varied activities as enclosure, land concentration, capital intensification of farming, proletarianization, grain exports, taxes, tariffs, and other government efforts to regulate the food supply. Price riots were simply one expression of popular grievances stemming from this broader change. And this is, this is something that, that's very common. Uh, bread riots are, are like deeply and intimately linked in the, with the ways that food, food product, the food production process is changing. And specifically linked they're, they're linked to the ways the food production process is changing because of the state and markets. But we're sort of leading into the late 1700s. And at this point, something happened that no one expected. A bread riot went completely the other direction and, ir- and irrevocably changed the state and the market itself. Um, and I, I, I am talking about history's maybe most famous bread riot. That's right. It's the French Revolution, baby. Liberty, egalité, fraternity, hon hon. And this is this, now, this is like you mean to tell me that the French had a revolution? I, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of marginal, admittedly. The it, fame it, that doesn't sound like the French that I know. That's true. The 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 the, the, the modern French have replaced revolution with racism, unfortunately. Yeah. But you know, look, look, we're 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 in the 1700s. Things are different, um, yeah. And so we're we're, we're in, in in a second. We're going to talk about the bread riot that changed the history of bread riots and the course of world history forever. But first, do you know who doesn't love bread riots? Marie um, Antoinette. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, who is the primary sponsor of this show? She realized the whole cake thing didn't work out great, so now she's saying. Let them have podcasts. Let them cast pods. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter. Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastor on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back, and our primary sponsor has been executed by a mob. So if you are a member of European nobility, maybe you're a Habsburg, you know, um, hit us up and uh, offer us a sponsorship. Yeah, uh, well, I, okay, we, we, we're going to rewind a little bit before they kill Marie Antoinette to get to uh, how that happened. So what, one of the things, if, if, if you read the sort of literature on bread rights, one of the things bread right people will talk about over and over again is bread rights being apolitical. And they kind of like stretch this to a point. Well, because I mean, okay, so like, like there, there's a couple levels which doesn't make any sense, right? Like, okay, if, if, if you think that bread is being sold at too high a price because people are, are gouging you, that is political, right? And then you go out and make them not do that. Yeah, that's politics. I, I people I, love to say things aren't political when they don't align with like a simple political party. Like if it if it doesn't line up directly with the kind of approved debate topics between the political parties that dominate things, they like to say shit is apolitical. But, you know, starving because of tax decisions or whatnot is is an inherently political thing. Yeah, and, and, and deciding that you're not going to starve and taking bread from people is an incredibly political thing. Yeah, that's a politics. You, yeah, you've it, do, you have done a politics. Yeah, you've done, you've, you've done a lot of politics. And, you know, but, but one, one of the things that, that – and the, the other thing this leads to is if, if, a, if a thing that involves bread suddenly, like, turns into capital P politics and suddenly you have people doing things that are, like, well understood as, like, conventional political gestures, immediately everyone stops calling it a bread riot – and if but like if you look at what's actually happening, it's here's a bunch of people who are mad about the price of bread 
Uh, they went to change the price of bread. It kind of didn't work, and so instead they overthrew the government. And th- this is this is this is this is uh, this is the bread riot that, that we're getting to now. Uh, up until you know, up until uh, seventeen eighty nine, like you can argue that like pe- historians will argue that oh, these bread riots are apolitical. Uh, that just ends in in a, on a, I think it's October fifth, uh, seventeen eighty nine. Uh, but by, by this point, the French Revolution is, like, well underway. Um, they've stormed the Bastille. There's a bunch of people in a parliament writing a constitution. But, like, in, in October of, of 1789, it's still unclear, like, how radical any of this is going to be, right? Um, it, at this point, it still seems likely that there's going to be a king. And not only is there going to be a king, the king is still going to be pretty strong. And then, yeah, on October 5th, 1789, uh, the Maybe history's most famous bread riot breaks out. So 7,000 women who are like incredibly pissed off at the high price of bread in Paris march on Versailles, which is where the royal family of France had been like governing France from for like 100 years. And these women are really, really angry. And they, 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 they basically force the royal family to come back with them to Paris. And I guess it's, it's important to note here that Paris and Versailles are like 12 miles apart. So this isn't like a multi-day journey. They just like get mad one day and they wake up and they walk to the next city over. And this radically changes the entire direction of, of the French Revolution because once well, – if the royal family is in Versailles, right, like the, the, the Parisian mob doesn't have direct access to them. But once, the, once they're in Paris and once, once, once this bread riot like brings the king to Paris, suddenly – the entire like the entire concentrated political power of the French system is now centered in Paris and is now in a place where subsequent bread riots can actually do stuff. And this directly leads to the kings being executed. This leads to our sponsors uh, getting guillotined. And it it basically it, it's it's it completely cements uh bread as sort of like the central part of of like one of the central aspects of what the french revolution is about like by by, by the end of the revolution the, the 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 slogan of the sort of revolutionary french working class is bread in the constitution of 1793 so you know you could you could, you could you could look at the priorities there and look at like all of this is sort of in a sort of extended rolling bread riot um unfortunately for us uh, uh and spoilers to everyone who has not caught up on the end of the french revolution uh, the revolution loses and Napoleon takes power, and this is where uh, we we enter the era of what's known as the bourgeois revolution. This is this is the modern era, and if you've, if you've read your like your like Arab cop swam, you're like you're you're sort of very conventional like Marxist historians or your conventional sort of liberal historians. Uh, they will all tell you that the bread riot sort of dies in the early 1800s, and that's replaced by, like, strikes and political protests organized by unions and parties because, like, the, the rural class has been, like, displaced at the center of history by the industrial working class. And that's just, like, not true. Um, and it's not true in, in two senses. One, it's in the sense that, like, we have bread riots now. But it's also not true because there's another wave of bread riots that are that are very very conventional and very much sort of in in, in the classic 1700s mold. Uh, here is uh, here's Lynn Taylor again. It is true that the proactive form of protest became common, even predominant, by the early 20th century. However, scattered through the periodical literature are accounts of 20th century food riots, which look surprisingly like those of the 18th and early 19th century, something not expected in modern industrialized nation states. 
Food riots occurred in northern France in 1911, in Britain during the winter of 1916-1917, in New York in 1917, in Toronto in both 1924-1923, in Barcelona in 1918, in Vichy France in 1942, and in northern France throughout the German occupation. The form of protest was remarkably consistent in each, and reminiscent of traditional food riots uh, of earlier centuries. And these are these are these are very conventional sort of 18th century bread riots. They're led by women. They refuse. They're, they're led by women who are refusing to pay higher prices for food. And in some sense, they kind of are apolitical in that there are various attempts in like basically all of these protests by like organized political organizations to take them over. And basically every single time, the women who are involved are like, no, absolutely not. Uh, there's there, there's a very funny one where I, I think this is the, the 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 I think this is the British one. In, in 1916, 1917, where like a bunch of men show up and the women are like, no, go home. You can't riot with us. This is this is our riot. Now, yeah, the, the, the British case in particular is also interesting because this is the middle of World War One. And so, you know, this is the sort of giant presence looming over these 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 uh, uh, bread riots. And, you know, the, the government sort of like the, the government in response to this response to widespread hunger, like decrees these price controls on food. But farmers are just refusing to obey them. And so women in Mayport organized, and the result was, quote, when one farmer said he did not care what the government said about price controls, there was bedlam. The women rushed the farmer's cart, and the street was, quote, filled with hooting, yelling women and young people, while potatoes, cabbages, and turnips were flying through the air. The example of Mayport soon spread to other parts of the country. These riots were led by housewives, who had filled the front lines and did much of the fighting, although the miners of Cumberland were also active in supporting their wives' efforts, both as at added bodies strengthening the crowds, but also through the Miners Association and other working class institutions. So A, I I don't know. I, I had to include this specifically because the image of a bunch of people throwing cabbages at farmers is extremely funny to me. Um, <laughs> but the, the other thing I think is interesting here is y- you can start to see the shifts from these sort of 18th century like riots to these ones on a, on a social level where, you know, in, in the 1800s, you're dealing with sort of like town and sort of peasant cultural groupings who are supporting the protest. But by the 1900s, bread riots are being backed by like organized political institutions. Um, there's another one in New York in 1917, which is remarkable for being it's self-organized by like. It's remarkable because it, it's, it's self-organized by women, even though it, this is it, like the, the part of New York they're in is a socialist party stronghold. But the Socialist Party isn't the, aren't the people who do it. It's the women who are like married in a lot of cases to the Socialist Party, or and to some extent are in it, but are sort of operating autonomously. And they they do this thing where they, they sort of like they start setting and enforcing these boycotts uh, of like shops that are deemed to be at like price gouging levels, and they fight the cops and they do a bunch of stuff. Um, and the, the 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 ones I mentioned in Toronto earlier are interesting because those ones actually do like have an organization in the beginning. But in keeping with sort of the tradition of, of of the bread riot, the organization was the Jewish Women's uh, the Jewish Women's Labor League, and the, these are these are remarkably effective political movements. They win their demands really quickly. Um, I'm I'm going to read one more account because it just rules. Uh, Lester Golden and Tema Kaplan have both examined food riots in Barcelona in 1918, part of a wave of riots which occurred between June 1917 and March 1919 throughout Spain. As in previous cases, these riots erupted because of devastating price inflation, a thing we know nothing about now, this time resulting from the post-war collapse of the economy. The participants were all women, they forbade men's participation, and the actions were led first by radical Republicans and then by a small group of female anarcho-syndicalists. 
The women's demands were simple and straightforward. They demanded lower prices for foods. They attacked bread shops and coal wagons and took over a ship laden with fish. When police and civil guard attempted to break out the women, crowds of women on the street, the women turned on them, stripping some of the officers of their pants, spanking or thrashing them, and sending yes. them home. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> it rules so much. That's, that's, mwah. nom, 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 nom. It's so good. Perfect. Perfect. This is the energy we need in every century that human beings have ever inhabited. It's amazing. Uh, the, the, the historian's uh, a parenthetical note after that is, quote, uh, rather undermining their authority in the process, which, yes. I would imagine so, yes. If you are, if you are being spanked by a crowd, you have lost control of that crowd. That, 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 is, that is fair to say. And so they, they, it takes about three weeks and they, they win and prices drop 30%. That's so good, good, good that's for them. Not, yeah, that's it, a pretty it, solid look. Hey, I think, I, I think most of the people listening would do some hardcore spanking if they could get a 30% cut on their grocery bill. Yeah, it's, it's a look. I'm just saying it, it, it is much harder to pull down a modern cop's trousers because they're wearing like so much weird shit on top of it. But belt technology has improved tremendously since then. Yeah. However, comma, where there is a will, there's a way. Yep. If I learned one thing from high school, it's that anyone can be pants. Just you just you just have to you just have to you just have to want it hard enough. You have to have want to it believe. more than the person wants to be wearing their pants. That's right. That's right. You have to believe. So th th there's one more of these bread riots that's worth talking about, which also is not conventionally framed as a bread riot, but is entirely keeping with everything I've said here. Uh, the February Revolution in Russia. Um. It, it, so the February Revolution is the revolution that actually overthrows the Tsar. Uh, there's another revolution, which is the October Revolution, which is the one where the Bolsheviks come to power, but. That's a, that's that's a separate one. They're fighting a completely different group of people. The February Revolution has all of the sort of key factors of, of a bread riot, right? There's these massive bread lines. Women are pissed off by the lack of food. The revolution itself is is led by women whose like male comrades had literally told them don't like don't go out and do a protest on that day because this is International Women's Day. But the like all all of the men who are like doing this are are convinced that like the conditions aren't right for revolution, so they try to get everyone to stay home, and everyone's just like no. And, you know, like the, the, the sort of key difference between the like this bread riot and the other bread riots we were talking about is that, you know, the, the, the demands of, the, of the, the, the March on International Women's Day 1917 are overtly political. Like they, they are chanting down with the czar and they're trying to overthrow the government. And this, you know, th this is another thing that has this sort of like incredible impact on on how the Bolshevik Revolution is, is sort of working, right? Like. Lenin winds up using peace, bread, and land as one of the sort of like central like Bolshevik slogans because part of because a huge part of what the revolution is is just a bread riot, and that that that's where we're that's that's where we're gonna leave it today with the world uh, just completely and utterly transformed by another bread riot. And next episode we're gonna get to the modern bread riots because those are also interesting. And yeah, we're gonna once again prove everyone who insists that bread riots don't happen anymore wrong a thing that i didn't know existed until i started reading this and i'm now incredibly mad about yeah so go out there and have a bread riot um yeah, pants a cop or some other kind of riot you know uh a guacamole riot um uh a, a, a mate riot 
Um, you could have you could have some kind of corn riot. Um, you could have a riot over Ortolan. That would be a unique kind of riot. Don't think anyone's ever rioted over that that bird. That that's such a beautiful songbird that eating it is a sin. So you have to like hide your shame underneath a sheet so God doesn't see you eat it. Have a riot over one of those. You know? Yeah, do that. Yep. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.